Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Mastering College to Career Podcast. I am your host, Daniel Botero, and in this podcast, we help college students just like you get internships and job offers from top companies. In this podcast, we explore topics such as networking, interviewing, resume writing, and many other topics that will get you those jobs. Not only do I speak on these topics myself, but I also interview other subject matter experts, including CEOs, university presidents, and Fortune 500 executives. We also interview college students just like you in the hopes that you can relate to their stories and learn from their journey. So if you're a college student looking to get ahead, look no further and welcome to the Mastering College to Career podcast. All right, so before we get started, I want to take a couple of seconds to tell you about the Mastering College to Career Academy. The Academy is a mentoring program that helps college students land the jobs of their dreams before they graduate. In this academy, I will teach you application hacks that will automatically help you beat over 90% of all other job applicants, networking tactics that will give you access to the hidden job market where over 80% of jobs are filled, interview techniques that will practically guarantee you make it through every round of the interviews and win the offer. And I will also connect you with my network of thousands of HR professionals and hiring managers that love hiring my students. So if you're interested in learning more about this program, just send me a message and let's see if the Academy is a good fit for you. All right, welcome, welcome, welcome back to this episode of the Mastering College to Career Podcast. Today I have Ryan Kohler with me to in the show, Ryan is a thought leader, a growth hacker, and CEO of Applicant Pro. And I'm excited to have this conversation with Ryan. We're going to be talking about applicant tracking systems. We're going to talk about how marketing and hiring are so similar, except the hiring process is just five years behind. Um, I had a conversation with Ryan a couple of uh, last week, and it blew my mind. And I'm so excited to have this conversation now with them on the podcast. So Ryan, welcome to the show. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for agreeing. I know it's super early in Utah where you are, and I'm in Orlando, Florida, but I appreciate you making time. You're a busy person, so this is awesome. So before we get started and we really dive into the topic, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, yeah, man, been out of college for, gosh, like almost two decades now. Two decades, studied accounting, so, so boring. Like I actually graduated, gotten switched over to the MBA and got an MBA um, and quit my job like three weeks later. Quit my job, quit being an accountant, went into web marketing and really just, I, I got lucky enough to have it, kind of the, the pathway of unintended consequences. I got lucky enough to get a job as an accountant at a tech company, like early tech company. We're talking about like, we were doing video training like lynda.com when it was on CDs and DVDs. And, and VHS, we were freaking shipping VHS and we were trying like the early days of streaming content. And I just got lucky enough to get this tech job and started messing around with marketing while I was there and quit my job and started building websites. And that was like two decades ago. And so that is the progression. Somebody asked me like 15 years ago if I could build an applicant tracking system. I had no idea what that even was. And I'm not a programmer. I have this part-time mom working for me as a programmer and I still had a job at that point. I'm like, yeah, we could probably build an applicant tracking system. That sounds like a, a website with a login. It sounds like a, a lead generation website with a login on the back to track the leads. Heck yeah, I could totally build that. Never even seen one before. And that was 
you know, 15 years ago, like eight years on the Inc. 5000 list, no, no cash, no startup, no, no venture capital, just grinding out to, I think we're probably tracking at like 16, 17 million a year right now in, in revenue. Plus I've got two other companies that, that I also own. And so, yeah, super like interesting journey through doing everything the wrong way. Like even career-wise, I do think we target the wrong target audience. Every VC told me I was stupid and we were going about it the wrong way. And so, yeah, I, I, I am like the champion of if you tell me that it's the wrong way, I'm going to go prove that we can do it. It'll work anyway, right? It's interesting just the way you talk about it because you're just extremely successful individual that build, you know, starting a company as hard as it is. Having that company last for more than five years is very, 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 very hard, right? Statistically speaking, it's, it's going to like, what is it? Nine out of 10 companies don't make oh, yeah, it to you're 10 like, years. I think it's something like a 2%, 2 to 3% chance of hitting $10 million in ARR. So you have less than a 10, 5 to 10% chance of hitting 1 million in revenue. And you've got less than a couple percentage points to make it to $10 million in, in rev. Which is incredible because you didn't start out with the idea of, of a nice 20 page business plan of starting applicant tracking system company, oh, right? No. Um, you, you talk so much about your failing and how that things like that. If there's one word to describe you, I'm going to say it's grit. Yeah. You know, so I'm a huge stoic. So if, if you know much about stoicism and if you actually talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, you're going to hear these common themes of stoicism, like the obstacle is the way. Of, oh, of, Ryan Holiday. I, oh, yeah, Ryan no, we Holiday. were talking. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, like outside of the tech community, Ryan Holiday is a cool guy that you like once in a while you run, somebody knows him. But inside the tech world, freaking like everybody knows Ryan Holiday because that really is like you are, you are trying to disrupt like whatever the status quo is. And that level of, of desire to disrupt as everybody tells you you're wrong yeah, like you have to have massive amounts of grit and determination and like just a shit ton of luck because timing matters so much. Like, like you just show up. Like for us, there was this huge time that if we'd started maybe two or three years earlier, like we never would have gotten anywhere. And, and just the whole like, and weird timing. Timing, you don't think about it where like the rest of the world is like the O, like the 07, 08 recession was transformative for us as a company. It was massively helpful um, and, and to the job board world. Like Indeed didn't exist. Like Indeed was like somebody's weird pipe dream before the recession. They come out of the recession just crushing it and nobody even sees them coming. And so you have to have a significant amount of just grit and like just tenacity to keep going when the entire world says, dude, you're doing it wrong. You yeah. shouldn't do it. You shouldn't be doing this. Hiring, like, I mean, literally all my resellers abandoned me in like the 08 recession. They're all like, dude, nobody's hiring. They're laying off. We, we're going to transition and start selling like uh, performance management type stuff. And I'm like, hey, I, I own a hiring software company. This is all what I do. So people better be hiring because I built hiring software. And so, yeah, no, you have to have so much. People think that the solution is like money. Oh man, if I just had venture capital, if I could go raise, the stats aren't any better if you have somebody else's cash. You just make bigger, more stupid mistakes with somebody else's money. It is still, I don't care what it is, it is just hard. It's just I, hard. 
you know, we can literally segue this whole conversation about talking about grit and stuff, but, um, and I will talk to you about this offline because this is a, something that is really fascinating to me. And I love Ryan holiday. I love all his books. Um, I read the egos, the way, or wow. The ego's the enemy. The ego's the enemy. And I'm like, most of my goals are just so ego driven. Like I'm, I'm waste of goals. Like I'm throwing, it doesn't even make sense, but regardless, let's get to what we're t- here to talk about because the students need to understand applicant tracking systems, right? So in the last couple of months, I've spoken, you know, with hundreds of students and you won't believe me. Maybe you do. Maybe you, obviously you, you, you're in this world. I would say 80% of them do not know what an applicant tracking system is, what an ATS is. How would you describe what an ATS is, what an applicant tracking system is to a college student that is just, does all he knows is that I'm going to go online. I'm going to apply and handshake indeed monster LinkedIn and so on. Yeah. So, I mean, if you think about it and, and, you know, one of the biggest challenges I see even on the job seeker side, so I'll, I'll explain what it is and I'll come back to it is we, we want things to be so simple, right? So like we, as, as humans, it's just easier for us to deal with stuff when it's, it's binary thinking, right? Ones and zeros. What is an ATS system? It is X. Well, it's not technically X. It's an entire industry of software that is developed over the last like three decades, right? But in theory, if you think about from the employer's standpoint, the employer has all these job openings and all these people applying from all these different sources. And all an ATS system is in theory is a single database where all of their applicants go into, right? They need just one place to go look at all their applicants. Because back before we had ATS systems, um, you would have to log into CareerBuilder and view all your resumes there. But then you'd log out and go log into Monster and view a bunch of resumes there. And then you'd log out and be like, yeah, but what if somebody just walks in with an application? Or what if somebody emails me a resume? And and so you just had this huge mess of applicants all over the place. And so there was a mix of, we need to have one database where all of our applicants are at, number one. And number two being, when you put on the HR freaking compliance hat of, we need to make sure we don't get sued, they're like, we need everybody going through the same process so that we can say we treated them all fairly. And so it's basically this big giant funnel where all the applicants end up in. And it used to be probably more transparent where um, in the early days of Indeed is a great example. You couldn't even post a job on Indeed and people couldn't apply on Indeed. Indeed was basically just Google. You think about Google, right? that you see a bunch of websites on there. Google doesn't actually capture information. They don't capture, at least in the early days, they were just like a repository of links that would send you somewhere else. And so in the early days of Indeed, um, you saw exactly that, Indeed and Simply Hired and those guys, you would be jumped over to the ATS system to go apply. And the upside of that is it exposed to all the job seekers exactly where their data was going to be stored. It was being stored in Taleo, or it was being stored in Bullhorn or wherever. But that has changed and shifted over the past three to five years where you don't always see where your data is being stored. You think, like, give you a great example. A job seeker goes and finds a job on Indeed and they click apply and they use their Indeed profile to apply and they fill out, answer all those questions. Well, a whole bunch of additional questions pop up in there that actually came from my ATS system. I actually send them over to them. Indeed process the application and sends it to me and I log it into my system. And although your data is on Indeed's platform, now your data is also in my database, connected to this employer that you applied to. 
And so like, even with that, I try to as much as possible have them not on the job board, stay there and apply, which means they don't know that their information just got ported into the African tracking system. So let's think about LinkedIn for a second with the easy apply. When they do easy apply, that stays in LinkedIn and then that also goes to your applicant, your applicant tracking system software. Yeah, and, and the big answer is it depends. It depends on the applicant tracking systems integration levels with these mm -hmm. different systems. So some ATSs, no. Some ATSs, you might still be leaving LinkedIn and going directly to ADP. And some ATS systems or some clients say, well, that's a terrible experience. Let's leave them on LinkedIn and then maybe we'll go and copy and paste them into ADP or we won't move them into it at all. So it really just depends on the, the level of integration that's been created by the ATS and the job board. So when I think about, when, when I'm explaining an applicant tracking system to a college student, I say, look, on average companies, this is pre-COVID, right? Would get around two, 250 applicants per every job posting. I don't know what, what that number is when you, from what you've seen, but from what I've read online, that's what it is. You probably have better data than I do. <laughs> yeah, it depends. No, this is the problem is it depends. For, right. Luckily you're in the niche. So for, for new jobs, for new college kids, it probably is much higher like that, right? Entry level jobs, teller jobs. Man, I had somebody I rewrote a job ad for that got like a thousand applicants in like three weeks. But then for like an HVAC technician job or programming job, we might get 20 applicants right. for something that requires more. And so it kind of depends. But yeah, I mean, you're talking somewhere, you're generally going to be averaging between 20 to hundreds of applicants per job. For sure. And when you're, when you're thinking about like a Fortune 500 company management training program for right out of college, you're talking about thousands, oh, yeah. right? Because yeah. they're not, they're hiring maybe 200 people to do the same role across the country. So you might get tens of thousands of people across different universities. But what, what I've noticed, like for, from the perspective of my students, the reason why companies would use an applicant tracking system is because they don't have the resources or they don't want to allocate all the resources to review every single applicant, right? How does an applicant tracking system review your resume and does a resume gets seen, you know, we're talking about general because every company is different. Some, right. Everything's going to be, it depends, right? This depends. So let's talk about the most common theme is when you apply online, does it get seen by a human being? Yes. No, sometimes. And what percentage it is. Yeah. Like, so again, it depends. And, and the way you know is, and, and the funny thing is you could actually see and be able to figure this out as a job seeker. If you go, instead of going to Indeed or LinkedIn or whatever, go to the company's website, right? If you go to the company's website, go click on careers and, and go find where the job, where you're actually applying. The URL most likely will change or there'll be a little powered by tag in the bottom. So the URL will suddenly change to Taleo, to job by, to applicant pro, to something like that. Um, and at that point, you know what ATS they're on. You can literally go to their website, go to applicant pro's website, start looking around hit up chat and ask them, hey, how does this work for screening applicants? So your big giant company is using much more robust and heavy duty, like I, I almost said the word AI, which I freaking detest, but, but some of those new recruiting technologies are getting much more automated, right? Where they're using keywords on the resumes and trying to sort and sift resumes in that way. The problem is, is that that has not proven to work yet. And the reason why it doesn't work is that when you, take, when you take a bunch of resumes and you try to um, use automation to decide which ones are good and bad for a specific job, 
where, where the world's always been is it's been comparing the job ad to the resume. Well, the job ad and the resume are written by two different people with two different languages for two different purposes. And so that's why you see all the people out there saying, hey, just copy and paste the job description. Like there's a lady on TikTok who's like, copy and paste the job description, make it like one point font all white and stick it on your resume because it will trick the algorithms to saying that this, this resume has to do with this job. Would it and work? It, it probably would work on certain <laughs> things. But then I look at my system. I've got like 7,000 employers who use my system and we don't use anything like that. We actually ask point blank questions. Like there's a series of questions you answer. They're like, what's your highest level of education? What, how many years experience do you have? Uh, do you have a legal right to work? Whatever. And those questions determine whether you go into qualified or not qualified. So the answer so, is it depends. So right? let's say 200 people apply. The applicant tracking system's job is to divide into say qualified and not qualified. You would, yeah, you would hope that the applicant tracking system is set up. And again, it depends on right, right. how this is really, if you think about it, if you back up from hiring, everything is always driven by market forces of marketing. It just is supply and demand. So as a, as a job seeker, if I look at a job and I say, how many applicants do you think are qualified for this job in the marketplace and how many jobs are like it? If supply and demand says there's 10 of us, then they probably don't use robust automation and probably every resume look, gets looked at. But if you say there's a thousand of us, then there's no possible way for the employer to look at all 1000. And so they better have something in place to automate it. And so you, you always just think about that supply and demand. Is there a way that financially, do they make enough money by hiring me that they could justify the manpower of looking at every resume? Well, if I was a nuclear physicist, the answer is probably yes. I bet they look at every, like I would look at probably almost all the programmer resumes that come across our desk. Why? Because a programmer throws a million dollars worth of code a year. But if you've got like, you know, PepsiCo or somebody like that that gets a ton of these management kids coming in, they're like, well, I mean, really, they don't have any work experience. Like literally we're looking at college degree, what college they went to and like what their GPA is. Then you probably look at that and say, well, we could build a simplistic algorithm to sort and sift these people. And so as a, as a job seeker, if you know that's what the case is, you're going to have to find a better way around the system. Like you're going to have that's, to find a better way around. So how did you, how does a student bypass the applicant tracking system? So you can't be that past. You have to still get in there. It's kind of like, you can't break the rule. You can skirt the rule, right? So again, like if you think about it, like this is offensive, I'm never going to put my application, which I've heard online, people are like, this is crazy offensive, it's dehumanizing. I will, if somebody has a job and requires me to do this, I won't do it. You're like, really? Like you want the job, right? I mean. And, and again, the laws of supply and demand say the better the job is, the more people are going to apply. The more people who are going to apply, the more likely they'll have to use technology to deal with it. Like, and, and really it comes down to if it, was, if it was lead generation, right? If we're talking about sales and capturing leads, companies have a reason to, number one, maximize their close rate of those leads, and they get revenue when they close them. So they can justify hiring salespeople to do that. But on the people side of things, like they're not trying to hire as many people as possible. They're trying to do the opposite. They only want to hire one or two people out of 200 or out of 100. 
and they don't have an instant revenue motivator to say throw more money at making that work. And so it you the way you get around it is pretty it, in my world is really really simple. Um, and that is don't ap don't apply through the job board, right? Because if you if you think about what happens when you apply, you are assigned a source, right? You're assigned a source. So what is this sort of like a ID, number? No, well, you are given an ID, but you're, you're, a, you're assigned a source of where you came from. So just Got it. let's think about this for a minute. If I apply through LinkedIn, yeah. they're told, it used to be there'd be a dropdown. If you go directly to their website, there'll be a dropdown. It's like, how did yeah, you Yeah, where do you hear? Like, like yeah. LinkedIn, Monster, yep. Okay, the yeah. source. So it's kind of like theory, a referral. Like, yeah, yeah, the referral. Now, in theory, if I apply from Indeed, I'm never asked, did you find this job on Indeed? Because I'm coming from Indeed, and but I'm no. just automatically assigning you to Indeed. So if you're from Indeed, now in theory, we again think of the world very simplistically and we're like, well, it doesn't matter where I apply from. I I'm selling them my resume. I'm legit, man. I've got all this experience and all this knowledge, like it's me and I'm legit. And I'm showing up here and saying, please hire me. <laughs> but again, you have all these different sources. So in theory, I would want to make sure that how I apply to the job, my source that I'm assigned is the most powerful source ever. The referral. The referral, man. The referral. Like, the referral <laughs> is the key. And the bigger the referral, the better. Like, if, just think about it. If you're the, the lowly HR lady who has to filter through all the resumes to decide who gets interviewed, who doesn't. She's scared crapless of the VP of sales, right? If the VP of sales referred me, trust me, you're getting an interview. You're just getting an interview. And the smaller the company is, the more powerful this is, yep. right? And so she, like a lot of times we, again, we assume that like she goes and hits up the VP of sales. She's like, hey, Ryan applied for this job. Like, is he a good candidate or not? Should we interview? No, no, no. I bet most of the time she doesn't talk to him at all. She's just like, oh crap, like I better interview this guy. Like, I mean, I don't want to wait. I don't want that guy coming in and wanting to know where my, where my buddy Ryan's at. I better interview this guy at least. And so if you think about getting hired as a funnel, and, and again, this is like funneling is like pirate, pirate uh, it's called the pirate funnel. This is growth hacking 101. Every single process is a funnel. Your job is to create the segments and compute the likelihood of moving down the funnel. And so instead of thinking about hiring as like, my goal is to get a job. No, your goal is not to get a job. Your goal is to find the right job to apply to. Cool, that's goal number one. The next goal is like, my goal is to get my resume reviewed. Okay, my goal is if they review it to get me an interview. And at the end of the day, I just want an interview. Period. Period. End of story. When you get interviewed, the world changes. You're no longer a resume. You are a real life human that has a personality, that has all this stuff the second you get interviewed. And so the goal of a job seeker shouldn't be to get hired, the goal should be to get interviewed. And I can tell you the number one driver of getting interviewed is the referral source. Period. End of story. If you mix referral source, because if you think about, hey, I need to hack my resume to get around the ATS, not if somebody refers you. Yep. Hey, Daniel here. Hope you're enjoying this first half of the episode. But before we move on to the second half, I wanted to share the story of Luis Guzman, a student that has gone through the academy and found so much success. Enjoy. I am here in the new office for my internship that I got thanks to the Mastering College to Career Academy. I'm with one of the 
um, top accounting firms in the world. And I wouldn't have done it without Mastering College to Career Academy and Danielle Spatera help. Honestly, I started noticing the difference once I enrolled because previously I would apply to pretty much everywhere and I would spend two or three hours to just get the email two weeks later. Hey, I'm sorry. We decided to move forward with a different candidate. But once I enrolled and I started applying the knowledge um, that is in the modules, I started getting um, interviews and eventually offers. And I'm graduating with four internships and I got a full-time offer in San Francisco with the top accounting firm in the world a year before graduation. So I don't want you to sleep on it. This is a no-brainer. It's literally step-by-step step on um, how to become an ideal candidate. I hope you all the best of luck and don't, don't think too much about it. If you want me to help you reach your career goals, just contact me. And now let's get back to the rest of the show. I have a whole training. I'm going to, I'm going to share with you my training. Um, because I talk about that. I said, um, the best way for you to get a job is to, uh, I tell them stop applying online. And it's all about the relationships because that is how you bypass the applicant tracking system. Will you eventually need to apply online? Yes. Oh, you, yeah. will you will eventually need to submit. You're going to eventually still need to submit. But the difference is that they're going to be looking and pulling your information out of the system and automatically setting you up. And I think you're right. I agree with you because the whole thing about what I teach my students is humanizing the recruitment process. Instead of you being applicant 146, you're now Daniel, you're now Ryan. And when you can put a face to the name and you can get those connections, that's going to increase your odds dramatically. Um, and it is right. It's about getting to the interview because even a, even the best referral, best case scenario is just going to help you get to interview. You might have a better chance of even getting the job because the interviewer already has this halo effect that you're going to do good. Um, but it's still only going to get you to the, it's going to get you to the interview. You're still going to have to do well in the interview and not mess that up and show the value that you provide and the problem that you're solving. So it's awesome to hear it from you, from someone that designs the applicant tracking system, because what you're trying to do is help facilitate this, right? To, 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 it, you want companies to hire the best candidates so that they can go and run their business. Yeah, for sure. Because at the end of the day, like at the end of the day, it's a value exchange, right? And, and so if we hire great people, like all of the ideas, we just like literally a private company just shot two humans into space. Right. Right. And so like that crap, it came from, it didn't come from Elon Musk. He's a phenomenal guy and a brilliant, brilliant, just like that dude's dreams are on a different level than the rest of us. Different I mean, planet, like, right? I'm like, man, maybe I could get to 10,000 clients. He's like, man, maybe we could colonize Mars. Right. Like, the dude's vision is massive, but at the end of the day, those guys went into space because of the value of the brain power of the people he hired, period, end of story, right? And so the companies need phenomenal talent. The problem is the companies are trying to weigh like the downside risk. Do we hire a terrible person and we have to fire them and that costs us money. And we also have like, you bring a terrible person on your team, the smaller the team, the more impact a bad hire has on your company. Like it can drag your company down and put you back a year. And then you've got the upside. Like, can we predict that they will be more than just average? They'll be phenomenal. And you're trying to balance this risk downside and positive upside all the time in an environment where you never have enough money and you never have enough staff and you never have enough like people on your team to screen applicants and resumes and all that kind of stuff. It's a really, really like, 
It's a really crappy situation in, in the HR world at companies. It is not any, like, it's the most thankless job. I remember I worked for this country club for a while and uh, we had this HR guy there on the management team. That guy made like somewhere between half to a third of what everybody else made on the management team. But he could, the difference was, he could see what everybody made and nobody else could. So every day he went to work and looked at everybody's salaries who made more than him all day long. He sat, and then he's like the company psychologist listening to these guys piss and moan about their problems. He's like, yo, you make like four times more than me. Cry me a river. Like it is the most thankless job ever. Just think COVID's the greatest, like, or the worst for this. I've read so many stories on Facebook where some HR person's like, so my job this week was to lay everybody off and then fire myself. My God. Just think about that. Like, like how messed up is that, that you had to put together your own severance policy, your own severance, like uh, pay structure to fire yourself. And then you still had to show up for a month and fire everybody. Like it's messed up. So there yeah. is a level of like, if we really want to whittle it down though, from a job standpoint, um, most of the time job seekers are going way too fast, right? They're like, it, they think it's the lotto and that is an approach. So they're like, if I applied one job, I have one chance. But if I applied to a hundred, I have a hundred chances. I should buy as many lotto tickets as I can. And if I'm going to apply to a hundred jobs, that means going fast. And if I'm going fast, that means I'm not customizing my resume. I'm not methodically thinking about my approach. And it also, you know, you're following the, the default way to go. And the default way is great if you get the internship, but what if you don't get the internship? Because in theory, an internship is just a way to go and get referrals for the long-term job, right? Yep. You're getting your face seen, you're meeting new people, you're, you're building your network inside a company instead of outside a company. It's just like the best platform for increasing your chances. Unless, of course, you get there and decide you don't want to work for that company. And then you're back to zero again from a network standpoint. Let's talk about this because this is super interesting to me. And we had had this conversation on the phone was how there are so much similarities between marketing and hiring. And you're a marketer at heart. The way that you look at your business is through marketing through, you know, even you talked about it earlier in this podcast, the funnel, right? There's this funnel. Well, as a student, I can't control what the companies are doing, right? But you can control what you're doing. So what advice do you have for students to market themselves better, right? To see this as a marketing and how they are the product, they're a million dollar brand trying to sell themselves to a company. And I know that you, you were just mentioning a little bit about it and how you can't just apply everywhere. It's, it's, doesn't, it's not going to really work as well as you will have more customized approach, but let's dive into this more and get some tactical, tactical advice that they can execute. So I believe, let me back that up even further. I believe life is marketing. Everything in your life is about a relationship between you and somebody else or you and a, a business or an entity. It just is. Whether you're trying to get a job or you're trying to get a girlfriend, it's the same exact thing. And so if you think about, if you approach dating like a, it's all about you and not it's about the girl that you're trying to date, like you better be all that because it's not gonna work out well otherwise if you cover your ears and don't listen to what's going on. And so in theory, if you really boil marketing down, marketing is about understanding your target audience, period. Who is my target audience, right? There's actually a little uh, diagram. It's called the, the customer, I had it up yesterday. It's the customer value canvas. 
And so the customer value canvas basically sets up that we, we look at the customer, the potential customer. In this case, it could be the company that I want to apply to, and it could be the HR person who's screening, and it could be, if you think about it, there's like, in me getting a job, the bigger the company, the more people there are that are in my, my customers out there, right? The company itself for the role I'm in, the manager over that role, the HR person who's gonna do the screening, all these people are customers. And what I need to do is, is apply empathy, is to actually get in their head and say, what are their fears and frustrations, and what are their wants and aspirations? Just marketing 101. Segment your target and understand what they want in life. And my job is to create me as a product that is unique. It's different than everybody else, not the same. In a compelling way, compelling and relevant to whatever their fears and frustrations are, and that I'm credible. Those are my three goals in life. In any situation, I want to be unique so people remember me. So I stand out from the crowd, I wanna be compelling, and I wanna be credible, period, end of story. But I can't be compelling if I don't know what those people care about. And so that's why slowing down a little bit, say, I wonder what this company is really looking for, right? It's a marketing job, cool. So this company is trying to market. Well, what, what kind of marketing? Are they business to business or business? Oh, they're business consumer, awesome. So inside the business consumer space, what kind of marketing do they do? Do they do social marketing? Or do they do web marketing? Like, what is the big driver? Oh, it's social marketing. Okay, interesting. So I want to apply for a job as a marketer at a company that does social marketing to consumers. How can I be unique, compelling, incredible in that situation? Well, I could go and study marketing in college, I guess. Like, that would be great. I could go get an internship at some agency that targets customers, like consumer base. Um, but man, I could go build a following on Instagram and put that on my resume and that would prove, that'd give me more credibility than just like a referral. But if I don't even have a referral, I have no credibility. If my cover letter and my resume, like if I don't include something that shouts like, hey, I'm your guy. Like I've done what you're trying to, I am number one, a safe person. Just think about the HR lady again. The person doing the screening doesn't want to get yelled at, okay? Her number one goal in life is to not look stupid. So if my goal in life is to not look stupid, I wanna make sure I don't look stupid for being the person that passed your resume onto the manager, just to hear him go, this guy's nothing, this person's terrible. There's nothing like what we want. So I wanna make sure that I don't look stupid. Your job is to make me look like I am number one, a safe resume to pass on, right? Then number two is like that I could be a superstar. But that first, one is, yep. that first one is one that we totally throw out, this idea that we need to be at least a safe bet. I, I think it's interesting because that, that's such a funny thing uh, you just said. I, I tell my students all the time, so there's different levels of interviews. Generally, the first interview you're going to have is a screening interview. It is done by an HR or talent acquisition coordinator or like a coordinator role. And they're just saying, you know, is this a good fit? And if they move you on to the next round, if we really think about this, right? their HR is a supporting role. They're supporting a department. They're supporting, they're supporting, you know, a team and the team has a problem. They're hiring. There's obviously the reason why they're hiring either it's, it's growth, replacing someone or anything like that. They are trying to support that department by trying to find qualified candidates. If you pass the screening, right? If you can show that you are reliable, you're a good candidate. You now have an ally in your side because it is now in their best interest to get you hired because if you, 
if she can present one candidate and that person is liked by the team and gets the offer, she looks like an all-star. He looks like an all-star, right? Yeah. One and done. And that's it what everybody wants. Credibility, right? Even if yeah. it's three or four, right? Because if she passes on three or four and they're all bad. It's terrible. What are you doing with your time? Credibility, right? Yeah. And, and then you bring like third-party recruiters in the mix, which I, again, I don't think most, I don't believe most like uh, job seekers think about this, but then you've got these third-party recruiters, right? And if you've been in the job search world for, for a while, you will start to realize the difference between corporate HR and a third-party recruiter. Yeah. Third-party recruiter is like a real estate agent. They're like it's a sales, sales role. Person, yeah, right? it's a sales role. It's a sales role. Yeah, it is a salesperson. They're going to make you feel awesome. They're going to like listen to you and sound like they care about you and they're going to help you out and blah, 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 blah. And the HR lady, she's nothing like that. Like she is, they are financially motivated to get you a job, right? Yep. They, they get, just think about most people don't know, but they're going to get between 10 and 30% of your first year's salary as a commission. Yep. For you getting that job. So they are crazy engaged, right? But on the flip side, they don't have to deal with any of the downside if you're, if you're not a good fit. Like yep. it's not their problem. Once, once you're in the job and you wait three months, like they don't care. Bye. Yeah. 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 The HR lady, that lady's still around. Yeah. And when candidates come in from third party recruiters and she like, if they're the person who gets hired, she views that as a huge knock. Like that's, that's a huge negative for the HR person. A, because it means that she failed at doing her own internal sourcing. Um, and B, because she just paid out probably like a third of her annual salary just for one freaking hire. Her job is to hire a hundred people a year. So like even the recruiters don't get there. Like we, we submit these candidates. So even if you get submitted through a recruiter, just understand that like there's a price tag on your resume that HR might pull back and be like, yeah, yeah, but if we hire that person, we're going to have to pay out Your cash. last resort. Your last yeah. resort. Your last, so, last resort. So that's even hard if you're, not, if you're not really thinking through, like, understanding the playing field of what's going on. You might get this huge false positive that you're like, man, this guy is for me. He's, he, like, just loves me, and he thinks I'm this phenomenal candidate, and blah, 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 blah. He knows all these companies, and you're like, yeah, but they also know him as a guy they have to pay a crap ton of money to when they hire one of his people. And so that is why, like, you're much better off being a referral of an internal, like, VP of sales or manager level or somebody like that, because the referral fee for those guys might be a couple hundred bucks or a couple thousand dollars, not tens of thousands of dollars. Yep. My referral fee at Frito-Lay was $1,500, and I referred so many people into the company. This is kind of I snowballed into this, where HR was like, all right, you're cut off, man. I did. I, I think I refer like 15 people within like a couple years. Think, uh, think how, the, hang on though. Think how just, again, this is why it's so important to understand your target audience. In no other world would that happen. If you were referring clients to me and you referred to me 15 and I'm paying you 1500 yeah. bucks part pop, I would actually pay you more. I'd be like, dude, go sit down with that guy and figure out what it is he's doing. Why is he such a connector? Offer him like a bonus, dude. If you if you give me more than ten a year, I'll give you an extra thousand bucks a pop. Just keep them flowing. Ryan, they stop. They stop you. They st like, and here's the funny part. So I left PepsiCo, right? I left. People listening to this are gonna crack up. I left PepsiCo, and um, I had built this solid pipeline. I've been doing speaking at universities. I spoke about how to get your dream job. I obviously people knew I worked at Pepsi that, that my, at that time, right. right? I was speaking for free 
But, um, and I, was, I wasn't speaking about how to get a job about Pepsi. I just spoke in general, but it just happens to be attached, right? So many people started applying. A lot of those people will come to me. I would refer the, the good candidates. HR stopped that referral program because I, got, I, I was making more bonuses from referrals than I was from my sales yeah. job, right? <laughs> and then two years after I left the company, two years, the pipeline went dry and the director calls me and says, hey, I want, to, I want to take you out to lunch. And he was like, can you help me recruit again? Because I, we don't have enough candidates to, to, to fill or qualify candidates because they get applicants. They get thousands of applicants, but it's the right candidates. And that's the funny part of it. And now the referral thing is back. And I have, um, and I have a couple of the district managers like, hey, Daniel, send your referrals my way. I'll vet them and then I'll send them. Yeah, there's just, if you, again, if you pull back the, if you like pull back the onion and understand what's going on inside of corporate America on some of those things, um, you have this, this wonderful group of HR people. I love the people in that profession to death, but um, they tend to like, number one, half of them are like what I'll call accidental HR people. They accidentally are in HR. They didn't study HR there. The HR person you're running into is more likely to have a sociology or a psychology degree than an HR degree. And while that might mean they understand people, it means they don't understand business. And and so they don't, they aren't good at making the case for, you know, the problem why they had such a problem with you is because they didn't budget for that much referral uh, expense. And so they're sitting there going, we don't have budget to pay this guy. Like we were assuming 10% of our hires would come from referrals and instead 40% are coming from referrals and we didn't create budget for that. And, and we're not good about going back and asking our boss for more budget. And, and when we do, he's going to say, well, you could just post a job on CareerBuilder for 300 bucks. Why are we paying $1,500 per hire? And you're like, again, you go back to, but, but we have no way to explain, yo, that doesn't work. Like those applicants aren't good applicants. These applicants are awesome applicants, by the way, like because they know somebody here, they stick around longer and and making the value proposition case for why they should spend money where they want to spend money is so insanely weird. And then they probably turn around and pay some recruiter like 40 grand to place a bunch of people when you dried up, but somehow they had budget for that. Yeah. It's it's recruiter budget, right? It's just, it's yeah. insane. It's a broken system. Look, we can talk about this forever, Ryan, and, and, and we will. But the problem is uh, we are running out of time. I mean, we've been talking for over 30 minutes. This is such an yeah. amazing, amazing subject. Ryan, what is the best way for anybody that wants to learn more about you, your company, to get a hold of you? Sure. They can hit me up on LinkedIn. Easiest Perfect. way. Yeah. I think it's uh, just go search Ryan Kohler on LinkedIn. I'll, I'll put, this, put it in yeah, the show notes. Good. I'll put his link in the show notes. Thank you, my friend. This has been, you have no idea. This is probably, I, I, I'm, if I'm a betting man, this is going to be one of the best downloaded episodes because the content we just threw out there, what you just gave in advice, um, it's common sense, but it's not common practice. So, oh, that's, but that is the complete, the complete theory of most things, right? Most things in life are not that hard. They, they just like, as far as coming up with the idea, we all believe we believe people are geniuses and there are geniuses out there. Elon thinks on a different level, but the average like entrepreneur, the average person, the average winner, they're not a genius. They're just not. The ideas are everywhere. It is being able to pick the right one and just like push through on it. Just to actually yep. do the work. 
right? To say it's not going to be easy. The obstacle, like just think, again, go back to Ryan Holiday's book. If you want to sum it up, the obstacle is way. Most likely the thing stopping you from where you're going, if you would push through on it, if you would push through on it, then you would most likely go places nobody else gets to go. Yep. And so that is like common knowledge, but people don't practice it. Why? Because I don't know, it's probably hard. It's yep. a little bit more difficult. It's easier to post my resume to a hundred times than it is to slow down. Like getting a referral is hard. Try getting yep. like an employee referral into a company that like you don't know anybody there. That's hard stuff. That's not, you don't just sit on your couch to do that. Like it is hard stuff, but, but like if it was easy, everybody would do it. Right. But that, that's what I, honestly, that's, I think that's my job. I, I say my job is to help those individuals do that. Well, Brian, man, this has been awesome. Hopefully sure. this is, won't be the, the last time we talk and have you on the podcast. This has been amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show and everybody else. Thank you so much for listening. Catch you guys on the next episode. All right, my friend, congratulations for making it all the way to the end of the podcast. In the age of short attention span, this speaks volumes of you. So now, if you found value in this episode, then I am sure you're going to find value in the Mastering College to Career Academy. So if you want to learn more a little bit about that academy, go to masteringcollegetocareer.com or just send me a message. Thank you so much for listening and catch you guys all on the next episode.